We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And last night, the Lakers got a thrilling but bittersweet comeback victory over the Utah Jazz after Anthony Davis badly rolled his ankle in the second quarter after a dominant start by him. He's scheduled for an MRI today, and we're recording this before we get word on the results of that. But I think it's a pretty safe bet that he'll be out for a bit. I, I really feel for him, guys. He, He's had three significant leg injuries in just over a year's time between his knee injury in Denver on Valentine's Day last season, the MCL injury earlier this year, and now this. So along with his physical issues, he's got to be feeling you know pretty frustrated right now. So here's to hoping he can uh, keep his spirits up and sending good vibes his way uh, in his recovery. As for the Lakers, I thought there was a pretty good chance that that injury was going to be an emotional knockout punch after everything that's happened this season. And it did rock them back on their heels for quite some time during that game. But I'm so proud of how they persevered and played hard. And just as importantly, I thought they paid attention to detail and played to their natural advantages over Utah and wrote a 15-point fourth quarter from LeBron in front of Aaron Donald, who I thought brought great energy and spirit to, to the arena last night. And so, guys, the AD injury definitely casts a long shadow on their long-term prospects, but I'm really proud of the resilience and attention to detail that they showed in the game. Darius, we'll get into the uh, ramifications of AD's injury and, and all of that, but last night, going into the All-Star break, I thought that just from a where's this team mentally standpoint, I thought they really answered the call with that comeback in a way that I was, I was really impressed with and, and proud of. Yeah, man, just me as well. It was looking grim there at the start of the third quarter. LeBron especially looked a little bit out of it. Just, you know, seeing his guy, AD's his guy, right? Like he knows that that's sort of his partner in crime. Like as, as much as Russ is the new guy and the sort of expected star to sort of step in and and all that, he's been to the mountaintop with with AD. And, and you could sort of see it on his face when AD is on the ground. yeah. And then, you know, they're bringing out the stretcher and like 
the fact that they carried him off and he couldn't put any weight on. And then after the game, Mike, we hear that LeBron says that he saw AD at halftime, but he had crutches. Like the whole scene of it all is like, we always talk about individual basketball mortality, right? Like the things that impact you as an individual, but LeBron had to have seen his team's mortality in front of him a little bit, right? And like, what are our chances now that AD is this hurt? And it took him a while, I think, to get that spirit back, LeBron especially. But Mike, I was particularly impressed with Russell Westbrook and the spirit that he showed in the aftermath of AD going down. Like in the immediacy after AD was hurt, Russ was still in full-on attack mode. And then even in the third quarter, I thought he was playing with a spirit. And in a time where I thought LeBron didn't necessarily have that juice, Russ did. And I thought it was a good counterbalance for the team. And it kept them emotionally involved in a way where Utah wasn't able to create any separation. And by the time you get halfway through or a third of the way through the third period it was just like hey we're still in arm's reach here utah didn't blow us out for a while the lead was still seven which is basically what it was at halftime and i thought through all of that the lakers were just like why the f not as bad as the lakers have been i think that they can actually point to utah and say we're better than them for some reason we have the elixir for this team especially, right? Like they may not have that same belief against other teams or whatever, but against the Jazz, and I'm sure this gives you a little bit of a smile, Mike, against the Jazz specifically, they're looking at those dudes like, not these dudes, they're not better than us. Well, I will avoid talking too much about the Jazz, but it, yeah, <laughs> the, point, the point over the years that I've been trying to make is that the, yeah, it's just the mix I don't think ultimately works in a, in big game type or big or series type things, because it's unathletic wings, smaller guards, and then a center who's trying to cover up for some things that he can't because of what his size is And the Lakers. And especially LeBron James know how to attack that. And even when LeBron isn't doing it himself, he's orchestrating the play such that last game, Stanley Johnson can attack Gobert, or in this case, such that Russ can get him on a switch. LeBron is orchestrating a lot of that. And so that's that's the part where it's almost disrespect. It's just kind of like, all right, we I I know I can get my team in, in what and where we want to do. And as long as Donovan Mitchell isn't hitting every shot like he hit in the first half when the Lakers should have been up by 10, you know, then then that was going to be settled. But the first point, uh, Darius, I want to take from you before I kind of switch an AD point back to Pete about Westbrook. He's such a complicated player in a lot of ways, but. The spirit that he had that was was coming through apparently on the ESPN broadcast. Uh, I, of course, was on the Spectrum broadcast. I didn't get to watch the ESPN one yet, but Vogel cited it and said that that was something that was uplifting and sort of kept guys engaged to a point where LeBron just took things over himself. And then everybody in the whole building, you know, most of all, Aaron Donald was really engaged. And so Russ does get credit for that. Like, that is a good thing. I think sometimes on the floor... Russ, for all of that, like he always believes that the team can come back, that he can help lead a comeback, that he can do it himself. He always has that belief. Sometimes his play doesn't have that same level of sort of play-to-play attention. It's a really interesting dichotomy. But the spirit of Russ there is alive. And so, Pete, maybe hit that, and then let's we can kind of redouble on the whole AD element of this. So 
I don't know if, if you caught this, Darius, while you were talking, but you were kind of telling the story of the time between AD's injury and the comeback victory. And you said, you know, they didn't blow us out, so why not, right? And you kept going, right? And, and right. I, that gave me a big old smile. We need a whole lot of why not right now. That idea of spirit. We were having an offline conversation recently where – we were talking about it was during this stretch where Russ wasn't playing hard and I've I've been an advocate of his and I think there's more good to him than people often see but that was a stretch where it's like no 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 you have to bring a certain amount of motor or and and we had this conversation around the idea of Russ is more spirit than motor yes. and that there is a distinction between those two things and right now and especially in the aftermath of AD's injury we've been talking about this recently that idea that a team has a certain degree of frustration tolerance where after a certain point it's like man and and Vogel talked about this in the post game where AD was back there he asked you know did you talk to AD did you see him what was he like and AD had a certain degree of man again like here i am again in the same situation and teams that that can impact teams too and that idea of why not and self-belief and don't tell me the odds. <laughs> well, yeah, he is. I, I said it in the text thread last night, but he is such a hard-headed dude. Mm-hmm. He's just hard-headed. I've described him as obstinate before. And look, there's a ton of times where that's bad. Yeah. Like, in fact, you could argue there's a few times where it's actually good. And most times it's bad, right? To, to sort of be like... Whatever. Rigid I don't care what you unbending. think. Like, mm-hmm. I don't care what you think. I'm just going to do it my way anyway. You know why? Because I'm Russell Westbrook. What you going to tell me? And I'm not saying that that's what he thinks. I'm saying that, like, from a projection standpoint, I think that's the idea that people project on to Russ. And he gives you that opening to do it because it's sort of how he plays at times. And so I thought last night, though, the obstinance of why not? Why not? I don't care. Like, mm-hmm. oh, our big dude just got hurt. Whatever. Like, I see these dudes in front of me. None of these dudes can check me. So I'm just going to attack them. Screw them. I don't care. Put anyone on me. And there's a, that it's that hardheadedness that is just like, whatever, man. Like, I'm just going to do my thing anyway. There was a level of control, though, that I think speaks to Mike's point where, exactly. you know, he's always got that. And sometimes that's going to be turnovers and missed layups at the rim and just these like absolute Tasmanian devil drives to the basket where he's doing something now that I think he's he's starting to find more of an under control type of attack. And I thought that it really shined through in last night's game. Let's take a break. And when we come back, I want to get more into the details because it's going to be very important coming out of the all-star break and into this stretch without AD that Russ grasps onto the progress the last couple of games and builds off of it. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I love when Russell Westbrook jump stops. So oftentimes when he drives to the basket and he tries to get all the way to the rack, you know, just from a basketball standpoint that he does that hurt his chances of being able to finish. For one, he's got smaller hands. That's one of the things that I've realized from watching him on a day-to-day basis that when he when he brings the ball up for a layup or a dunk, as he turns it over or even as it's in his hand, it will kind of wobble a bit. And so any body contact or anything kind of sends the shot, you know, askew. And part of that is that he oftentimes will keep the ball in just his right in one hand and does not gather or regather with that second hand. But he's been jump stopping on his drives lately. And he's really good at pump faking. He got Gobert in the air uh, on, on one, had a really fun and one in the fourth quarter where he's driving into the paint mic or he's posting up and he's stopping, which is, and he's doing that more than he has at any other point during the season, that I think that that is the counter to, like, it's foolish to think, oh, Russ, be a completely different player than you were and, and you know, do all of these actions that you're not familiar with. But that idea of being able to drive, it remind, but to be able to drive and stop, it reminds me of a baseball pitcher that goes from throwing 100 miles an hour, but as they get older, now their fastball is 96. And if they don't place it and they just start, try to throw it, they're going to get rocked. But then they throw it at 93 miles an hour, but and by taking a little bit off of it, they're able to be much more under control and accurate. And, and there's a degree of placement in basketball that I don't think is widely discussed and understood that I'm starting to see, especially in these lineups now where AD is going to be out, where there's going to be a lot of space where it's a way for Russ to leverage his ability to attack the basket without as much of the downside of it. Yeah, so I had a quick thought on Russ and then... I, I'm sure we'll put, we'll spend some time on AD, but uh, obviously you guys feel free to to get in on, uh, on this point. But for Russ, his shot chart was very simple last night. It's everything right next to the rim and then four threes. And the threes, I actually think it's fine. You know, he ends up, he hits one of four. Like we've talked before for me about the difference between hitting one for three or one for four. And over the course of the season, it's not that big of a deal. He has to take them when they're wide open sometimes. And, and so it's fine, but there is literally not a single mid range jump shot. There's not a single end edge of the paint jump shot. It's all at the actual rim and at the rim, he went five for nine and that's fine for Russ, you know, like over 50% for him, just given the, you know, what Pete just said about the hands and the late contest and he's not the explosiveness with which he's getting there is fine. So I, I love that. So Russ ends up six for 13. 17 points. Great. Offensively, I'll take that. 
And you now the thing that he did end up turning the ball over a little bit more than he has lately. But overall, I thought that was all that was just fine. And I was uh, I, I think that's something that Darius, I would take for the way that, you know, for, for him being adapting as much as he can to what he thinks they want him to do. Yeah, and I think that there's a synergy that both you and Peter talking about here in terms of style of play and how that's reflected in what his efficiency looks like. He was he played a similar game against the Warriors, right? Where it's just like and the same sort of stuff that Pete was talking about in terms of jump stops and being under control a little bit more, slowing down around the restricted area in order to try to get cleaner shots up at the basket or shots that he can control a little bit more. I'm with both of you on where Russ needs to be. I, th- I think there's a certain amount of, of clarity that he has now too, right? And whether or not it's spoken or unspoken, there seems to be clarity. Play hard, do what you're supposed to do, and in the end, you'll probably be in the game, right? Don't play hard. And and be some guy who's just going to be floating around out there. And you may end up on the bench with me. And then on top of that, you ain't going nowhere. All of the John Wall whispers and all of this other stuff, like none of that stuff came to fruition. We're on the other side of the trade deadline now. This is what it is. Play how you know how to play which is the stuff that Mike is talking about and how Russ has been most successful over the last two and a half seasons. Execute some of the refinements that we know you have in you, which is the stuff that Pete is talking about, and you're going to get the best version of Russ. That's the let Russ be Russ part that Russ controls, right? And I think we could pivot here a little bit to, to AD, Mike, because without AD... Russ is going to find himself again in situations where it's just like, okay, well, how do I navigate this world again, which is a new world, but an old world because they've had to deal with it before. And all of this stuff is in context as the the season has. And the especially bittersweet part of this is that AD was just great offensively. Uh, He's the the mid-range jump shot is, is splashing through the net. He hits the corner three. He gets the hard roll to the rim and dunks right around Gobert. Like Gobert wasn't even aware that he had cut to the rim. That's how explosive he got there. He was bouncing. He was Pete. You were you were texting in the group that are actually the two of you were about AD just destroying Utah's early offense with his drops to the rim and just eating everything up. Like he was fully the best player on the floor for a while mm-hmm. there. And and it's like <laughs> we just discussed this yesterday. All right, what's the way that the Lakers can make a run? Well, AD AD looks up and he says, all right, now's the time, stretch run. I'm locked in every night. Russ has kind of embraced his role to an extent now. You know, he's comfortable with that. LeBron's got enough in the tank. You know, the role, it's more THT, it's more Reeves. Like things, we could paint that picture again. And then the basketball gods say, nope, you're not getting it. You're not getting it. Mm-hmm. Now, they allowed the basketball gods, I guess they, they allowed us to not, you know, have to s- sit on that after a loss to Utah for nine days, which would have been extra brutal. But, man, before we even get to kind of the injury and how long he's out, I just wanted to point that part of it out that, like, he was he was really dominating uh, that game. He was so good, Mike, on both ends of the floor. And, like, the way his jumper looked 
it was smoother. Like you said, it was splashing through and kind of the way that the ball goes through the net for certain players can kind of tell you where they are with their jump shot. And just the way he he was swishing and it reminded me so much of the, the bubble and even prior to the bubble – AD shot 40% from three from January 1st on during the title season. And he really had it going with his jumper in a way that it's been mostly missing since then. And this was a this was an O game <laughs> from a jump shot perspective before he went down. I also think the the way that he got injured, you know, leaping for a, an entry pass from Malik Monk and landing on Gobert's foot, I think it speaks to part of the reason why AD floats. Like AD has two modes. Either he's kind of floating around on the perimeter or he's everywhere. I've told this a few times on the pod, but when I, you know, do the melt logs or when I chop up relevant footage for players, the length of AD's clips where he's a, a relevant central figure in that particular play is one and a half, two times as much as even other really good players because he's so active. He's jumping all over the place and he's, you know, really just in the mix. And that play that happened right there could have happened on any number of plays. And that's just how basketball is. But I really feel for him because he, over this last stretch, I think turned things up defensively in a way that we really needed and was starting to kind of pair that perimeter offense, which I think is uh, something that's essential to the team. And we'll talk about going forward in terms of life without AD. We'll see how long that that he's, you know, that he's out. But Darius, I thought that his his activity in some way, I can see why he is why he doesn't want to play like that for 82 games because there's such an activity level that there's almost a, a certainty or a much higher probability of something like that happening. Well, it's almost impossible for him to do that as well. Giannis, maybe, is like the only guy in the league who goes at it that way with that sort of physicality and that much sort of paint presence all all of the time. But Giannis is a sturdier dude. Mm -hmm. He just is. And he is... He is stronger than than AD, even though he is nearly as tall. um, He has there's like more balance in how his like weight and like size is sort of distributed. So Giannis has the ability to, to exert more power and more force. And that does create more space for him around the basket. And so there is less of that like I'm playing in a crowd when you can go hulk mode and get people out of your get people out of your space but in terms of like feel like feeling for ad of course i do and we all should and there's this idea that he is frail or whatever like i think that's stupid he is a big dude who is active He gets put in situations where he is going to land on someone or someone's going to land on him Right. Or he's going up and he gets knocked off balance. But it's because of his grace that he is able to even get some of these shots off and put himself in position to score the way that he does, that he does take falls. Right. So there's a lot to his game that is leading to some of this stuff. And he was just starting to come on. So I hope it's not as bad. We'll get some results soon. But let's go to break here because. It's life without him again, and the Lakers need to adjust. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So the Lakers have experience in this. This is a place where you actually don't want to have experience. Like, oh, what's it like playing without one of your best players? Like, well, the Lakers seem to have experience in this. And, and so what sort of experience can they fall back on? coming out of the all-star break and how do they navigate this? Because you had talked about Russ's turnovers being up a little bit this past game. Well, yeah, you know where he had some turnovers. He was trying to throw the ball to Dwight Howard. Yep. Right. Like, and some of the things that, that sort of put him in positions where he will be more turnover prone are a result of the fact that he's playing with a couple of lesser quality players that wouldn't be on the court if everyone else was healthy. So talk to me about adjusting again and trying to find a lane where the Lakers can stay afloat because we just talked about it the last pod. The standings are what they are and it's tightening up and this is the stretch run and Anthony Davis is going to be out for part of it for sure. Yeah. And we don't know, we don't know a time frame yet. You know, usually those type of ankle injuries where the ankle goes that far are multiple weeks. You know, it's, not, it's not just the kind of sprained ankle where a guy comes back in a couple of games. So in the one sense, the all-star break helps there because it's, it's like buying 10 free days almost out of that injury recovery. But we'll see. And, and so for the short term, I mean, Frank Vogel, <laughs> we've talked all year about it. He loves to have bigs. He loves to have two bigs on the court to take away the rim. And he's won a lot of basketball games doing that very thing. And now I think what we've learned is even with AD out, they're still probably better off almost playing no bigs because Dwight and especially DeAndre just haven't had that type of impact. Dwight here and there has had his moments, but when they, the first sub that they went and like the way that they started the second half was to start a Reza next to LeBron uh, next to Stanley Johnson, Carmelo Anthony was not an option. And he, I don't think he's going to start regardless. So what do they do in those situations? Well, LeBron at the five, we saw in the short term can be devastating. But over the course of a game, over the course of a week, over the course of two weeks, it's a lot. It's a lot to ask. And I think part that's part of what led to LeBron wearing down in the first place. So what I'm kind of going to kick this back to Pete then and figure out what is the optimal amount of time that you can use some Dwight, right? And how much can you get away with mellow in some of these lineups and how much can Stanley size up? Cause there, there isn't a great answer. We've already seen them experiment with all of the attempts and none of them were great, but it's just going to be more to me about staying close enough. Russ picking up his level higher than it was. And, and Austin and THT being more impactful than they were. And then hoping that LeBron can close out games because late him at the five, there is no actual answer for. And, and, and so that's kind of how do we how do you survive, Pete, enough to get to the point where LeBron can take you home? Well, I think part of the benefit is that this is in our first rodeo with it. And this whole season has been a, a matter of figuring out what works with what and who works with who and and why. And we don't let's say there are 50 questions that are posed without Anthony Davis in the lineup where you've got 50 problems on the table as a result of that. I think that we've gotten our best solution or close to it on about 25 of them. And we've got, you know, another 25 to go in which. So, for example, when we when AD first went out, 
our first instinct was to start Dwight. And those lineups played fine. Dwight, Dwight, for example, against Memphis. I thought Dwight, if we were to play Memphis in a series, I think that's somewhere Dwight should play. But what ended up happening is when you start both LeBron and Dwight at the same time, when you get later into the game, you're going to have some some lineups without either of them. And so it's Ariza and Melo at the four and five. And back then we were also dropping a lot in those coverages too, which we still might do with Carmelo Anthony. And there's so there's a certain degree. Which is like an invitation for wide open shots. Right. 100%. 100%. And so I think that one of the things that we've learned is – I do think Dwight needs to play. I I agree with your general premise that it's mostly better to play with no bigs at all. But if LeBron is not on the floor, D, I think that having Dwight in the game is super important. There's just a certain amount of size that you need to have. But I also thought that Russ had the following comment in postgame about the Lakers playing with more pace. Yeah, we're playing different. A lot more kick heads. We're not playing as slow. Last couple two games, we're playing a lot faster. Um, Our wings are running. Uh, doing a good job of cutting, um, including myself, just moving the ball um, and putting people in positions where they can be successful. And I think we've done a, a better job of that last two games of um, just allowing you know the guys and using our weapons uh, the right way and making sure that we continue to do that for 48 minutes, regardless of what's going on. And it's to me, I've seen a change in how we play and our pace and you know different things of that nature. So deep. Russ is talking about filling lanes, uh, more kick-aheads, just the transition game. I think the overarching theme of life without AD is we got to get really good at being a small team, which is so counter to what Mike was saying about I'm I, I've won with bigs. I know how to play with bigs. It's the opposite of that, but we've gone already gone down some of that path just through necessity. So I think that's a big part to the end of the season is how can we play small? And I think playing fast is a big part of that. Yeah, some of the Lakers' best defensive possessions were when there were no bigs on the floor at all. And there's a lot of rotation, 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 step up, step up, step ups, right? And then like, okay, I'm closing out. Even if I get beat, oh, there's another rotation behind, right? It's like, and that encourages drive and kick, drive and kick, drive and kick. But at some point, teams who are less experienced than the Jazz at doing that sort sort of thing are going to end up in an isolation or with the ball in the hands of someone who is not capable of making a play. Right. And that's the Lakers best hope. And some of those lineups where it's LeBron and Stanley and Austin Reeves and THT and Russ throw in right. And then now tack on a monk and a Ariza or a Carmelo Anthony, and how much running around can these lineups do? How much scrambling can they do in order to keep the defense, or I'm sorry, keep the offense sped up, right? Because that's the goal of playing smaller and faster. It's to get the offense sped up to the point where, okay, I'm not quite comfortable playing at this speed. I don't know if either of you have ever ridden a jet ski. Mm -hmm. Is there a greater pleasure in life? (laughs) So jet skis are great. I will tell you if you've never, the first time you've ever been on a jet ski, you start to go 25 or 30 miles per hour. And it honestly feels like, like, Uh, Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) Did I just hit warp speed? (laughs) So true. 
this thing and you're literally going 20 miles per hour if you were going that in your car on the freeway in Los Angeles or some other met metropolitan area cars would be looking at you like who the hell is grandpa over here right because and you don't feel that at all when you're in a car you get on a jet ski and you're like holy shit this is I'm gonna die at this point <laughs> there's nothing in front of me I'm gonna die and that's the point beating up hold on let's say in this ahead, metaphor. no let's just say in this metaphor for a little bit so <laughs> I was just talking to Carmelo Anthony about winners and you know he was complaining about Syracuse and you know how like that that freshman year just kicked his ass up until it got warm and I'm like well yeah well I'm, I'm from Minnesota and he was like oh okay he's like I, I shouldn't be complaining to you but what we do have is lakes baby and even though they're only open for a couple months that jet ski life and really there's a difference between a jet ski and a wave runner okay jet skis are the ones where you're standing up and like the whereas wave runners right you're sitting down on it and that those you feel a little bit more oh. safe so Darius first of all to clarify were you speaking about the jet ski like where you actually are standing up and then no, you control no, no. I'm talking about a wave. Okay, and I'm okay. talking about a wave runner where you're sitting down. All right. Well, that's the more Mike, mild version. You're saying but... you feel more safe on those. Yes. No, Mike. I'm sorry. Yeah. You're that, going when yeah. you go fast enough. You don't feel safe at well, all. You that, okay. feel like death is around the corner. So that's how you feel. You're not wrong the first time that you do it, but <laughs> and because the accelerator, you're also not used to an accelerator. Like when you just you just press the little button on the handle and it goes quick. But I have never been on a motorcycle. Um, Pete strikes me out of the three of us as the guy most likely to have a leather, a leather jacket on uh, and go on a little motorcycle ride. So I, I'm curious to hear if he has. That's what we're, I would I really be like. I would be scared for my life if I all of a sudden was on like the 110 on motorcycle. When I'm out in the lake and at least I know I'm falling into water. And I've got the life jacket on, even though I, even though it's like, yes, that's that's a, a thrill. I'm not fearing life like I would if I were going to be on a motorcycle. First of all, I'm going to have to hear about Pete's motorcycle yeah, life. Correct. I, I feel no, like no, no, no. I feel like there that there are stories <laughs> out there about, you, you know, Pete looking all James Dean like. Right. But on a motorcycle, the metaphor I was making, though, about speeding a team up and that sense of like, I don't. I don't feel comfortable or I don't feel safe anymore doing this. The Lakers have to start to generate that within opponents, but them feeling like, like, oh, this was my idea the entire time, which is what it's like when you get it on, on a jet ski. You're just like, yeah, well, like I rented this thing. I'm about to get out there and whip this thing, right? It's just like, oh, yeah, like let me rev this handle and I'm going to go. And then suddenly you're like, this wasn't such a good idea. And that speeding up, you make mistakes when you do that. And that's where I think the Lakers need to be defensively, Pete. And it's hard to do that with the bigs that the Lakers have on their roster because the Lakers bigs don't make you feel, don't make you play fast. In fact, the style that the Lakers then gear towards defensively is a more controlled game where if the other team has a big ball handling guard or someone who is just comfortable navigating and snaking a pick and roll they get into their comfort zone and then they start to feel like ah I know exactly what I'm doing here and that's where the Lakers defense is going to get cooked without Anthony Davis available yeah I think that the idea of speeding another team up is really central to I've always thought that the best version of this team was going to be a kind of an NBA version of Chino Hills or Grinnell College, which is a, you know, 
D3 school that scores a ton of points and the way they play is they play five man shifts of like 90 seconds long or something like that. Right. Where now, obviously these are very extreme ends of uh, the basketball world that you would never apply fully to the NBA, but that idea of speeding up the opponent and putting them on the jet ski or the wave runner where they're going a little bit faster than they want to go. That's something that really impacts shooters a lot. And I actually think that the bigs that we have, the ways in which they lack defensively is what necessitates this. Well, I think we're going to kind of have to play this sort of way and have this element to it, but we can't do it on defense. That's the, the thing about this team is the best versions of those types of teams are ones that can scramble all over the place and feel like we have six players on the floor. The best version, Mike, I think of this team is one that keeps teams in front of them, makes them shoot jump shots, and then it's our transition game that speeds up the the opponent. I think the the way we need to speed up is on offense, but without being that scrambling team on defense. And so anyway, this has always been kind of the, I think, the best version of this team. And we've seen when they do play fast and speaking to Russ's point in in that clip, that that is probably our, our best route going forward. For all the legends out there that have listened to every single LFR podcast this year, you know, has have now put together this story where I knew at least I first thought that no big island was just kind of something Pete came up with when he looked at the roster and was but little I didn't know at the time that his whole basketball journey in life up to this point uh, was building towards this based on all of these different L.A. hoops experiences. Uh, But you still haven't answered the motorcycle question. So I'm finding it hard to focus on the other basketball stuff until you give us some little tidbit about your motorcycle life. All right. So I grew up in Little Rock, California, which is the Antelope Valley uh, in Paul George territory. It is a suburb of Palmdale. It's on the other side of the of the mountains here in L.A. And my best friend lived in Juniper Hills, which was up in the mountains. And his dad had a motorcycle. And so there were these long stretches of road up there where there was this one, gosh, what was it? All the streets were numbers too. So it was like 106th Street East or something like that. And it was this long stretch where there were barely any cars. And one day at about, gosh, I was 14 or 15 years old even. Uh, we'd I'd ridden on the motorcycle before. Gosh, my parents, now that I think of this, my yeah, my parents never found out about this. Anyway, it's this straightaway. And he was like, hey. Uh, and so his dad had a motorcycle, uh, Rick, may he rest in peace. Um, and he was like, you, you want to try this out? Really? And so, yeah, you know, took it up to, you know, 50, 60 miles an hour on a on a straightaway at like 14, 15 years old. And that that was about it. Is that is does that suffice, Mike? What were you wearing? I was not wearing a leather jacket. Okay, I, right, I do right, own a leather. I do have one in my closet, but no, I was <laughs> I, no, I was not the weird 14 year old in a leather uh, jacket. My bad. Sorry. Sorry to distract. Thanks for that. <laughs> Where were we? So. I know we got to wrap up soon and maybe we can talk more about this on uh, tomorrow's pod, but there's three players that I think symbolize where the team is going next. Two of them we already covered because we talked a lot about Austin and THT. Both of them, again, were very important players in Mm -hmm. the win against the Jazz. And Austin, Mike, our boy Austin, he was in the middle of almost everything good that happened for the Lakers down down the stretch. It was LeBron and it was Austin Reeves and it was Russell Westbrook, right? To me, they were the big three for the Lakers in a lot of ways, particularly offensively. 
And THT is showing more and more metal, I think, as an on-ball worker. And mm-hmm. he's going to be super important. Another guy who impressed me is our good old friend Kent Bazemore who I thought was super important as a defense. He gave strong defensive minutes against Donovan Mitchell. And Mike, you had mentioned that Mitchell cooked the entire game. He stopped cooking a little bit when Bay started denying him the ball, when Bay's length and getting up into him a little bit was bothering him a little bit. And then Bay's got a short shift. He hit a three, was good for Bay's. But as the team goes back to small, playing smaller, and they start to scramble a little bit more. And I know Bay's only got minutes because Bradley was Bradley was out. Wayne got a shift too. Wayne didn't play particularly well offensively, at least. We may need to start to circle back to some of these small lineups, guys. And I think maybe in our next pod we can discuss again, like in this final stretch, what does playing small look like for the Lakers now that they've got three quarters of a season worth of data on what it's supposed to look like? I love that. Let's let's wrap up there. We'll cover that tomorrow here on the Laker Film Room Podcast. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. They will. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Freddie pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. Bryant! Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant! Yeah! And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.